Our scripture today is 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. And both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as of one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of the Lord. BJ, thank you so much, brother, for reading that. Um, It's good to be together. We are uh, in our Rediscovering Church series, just taking a fresh look at why, why do we do what we do, um, why, why are we here, why do we gather. Uh, our first week, that was our focus, why do we gather, why should we be here every week. Um, our, then we, we spent two weeks looking at the leadership of the church. Um, it's been abused, uh, there's been all sorts of, of bad leadership examples, there's been, in my life, a lot of really good leadership examples too, and looking at what should that look like here? Uh, and so we, we spent a whole week on eldership and elders as a, as a role and office in the church. Two weeks ago, we looked at deacons as a role and office in the church, neither of them being like the super Christians that climb a ladder to some unattainable height for most people. Not that at all. We saw that we're all called to live the way that elders and deacons are called. It's just that elders and deacons must be characterized by what we're all hoping to be characterized by, our lives looking like Jesus as we follow him. And so we spent two weeks on that. And then last week, uh, we looked at what we spend our most time doing when we gather, which is worship and preaching. 
Why do we do that? Are those outdated? Are they, are they actually cutting-edge things that Jesus still is wanting for his church, which I believe we saw last week? So if you've missed any of those, I just would encourage you. We have a, uh, on our Facebook page, we have the video. Um, we also have a podcast that goes up on iTunes and on our website, sacredmission.church, and would love for you to interact with those if you missed any. And please, if you have any questions or you're like, man, this is so different than how I grew up, um, I would love to talk with you about that, let you kind of see where we're coming from and where we're seeing this in the Word of God. Like that, ultimately, this is what as the Holy Spirit <clears throat> leads us, as we follow Jesus, his words are what we are hearing most clearly as it relates to how we should be as a church. So we're kind of taking a different approach today, and we're looking at kind of the heart that we should have as a church. And there are a lot of things that Scripture teaches us, but one of the things I think is so crucial for rediscovering church is today that we would be an expectant people, that we would be known as an expectant church. Now, it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to focus on today, is what does that mean? I, I looked at the Oxford Dictionary, just the word expectant. What does the word expectant mean in the Oxford Dictionary? And the definition there I found interesting. It's having or showing an excited feeling that something is about to happen, especially something pleasant and interesting. thought that was an a interesting way to, to describe the word expectant. Now, we're going to be in 2 Peter 3 today. Let me read that just one more time. Having or showing an excited feeling that something is about to happen, especially something pleasant and interesting. Now, in 2 Peter 3, I believe that we're going to be taken way deeper into a definition of being an expectant church, being an expectant people. And if, you're, if you aren't super familiar with the order of the books of the Bible, 2 Peter is, is way towards the back, really close to the book of Revelation. You can always look in the table of contents if you bring your Bible with you. Um, we have Bibles over here on our Connect table that you're always welcome to have take home, consider it your Bible, but we will have the verses on the screen too for, uh, for all of us to meditate on. So scripture is going to take us, 2 Peter 3 is going to take us deeper into what does it mean for us to be an expectant church. We're in chapter 3 verse 1 and it starts by saying, this is now, Peter's writing, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you a whole group of churches. We see in 1 Peter 1, he's writing to a whole, group, a whole bunch of churches. So the idea was, I'm, letting, I'm sending a letter, it's to all of these new churches in an area of the Mediterranean world, and the idea was that a church would have the letter for a while and then send it to the next one, to the next one, to Pontus and Cappadocia, and, and go on and on and on. So here he's saying, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. He loves them. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. 
Not a word we use. I'm not like, oh, honey, I was scoffed today at work or something. It's like not something we typically say, but it's basically like you're getting opposition from all sides. Know, first of all, that opposition is coming in the last days with their opposition. They're following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? Where's your Jesus now, huh? I don't see him. That's my paraphrase. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what they'll say. Verse 5, though. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. Fact. That the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed, existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Uh, uh, if, if you are just opening a letter from someone who's saying like, hey, new church, church kind of getting off the ground, church really like saying like, how should we be a church? Would you expected someone to write a letter like that? <laughs> you know, be like, hey, be really nice to each other. Um, do good things in your community. Look for opportunities to serve. Take some meals to your neighbors. You wouldn't expect, like, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You'd be like, whoa, whoa, yeah, that's in the future. What, what does that have to do with today? I'm asking you for stuff today. So Peter wants these churches to remember future things. Isn't that kind of an odd way to think about it? Usually when, I, when you ask someone to remember something, they're remembering something that happened in the past, right? But here, verse 2, that you should remember the predictions. So an interesting thing that's happening here is I want you to remember from the past all that was written about the future. Okay, so like kind of the first point here, I feel like from these first seven verses and to rediscover church is that an expectant church remembers the future. An expectant church, an expectant people remember the future. We're aware that scoffers are going to come. We're aware that they're going to make fun of me. They're going to make fun of you. We're aware they're going to say like, Come on, people, for 2,000 years you've been waiting for Jesus. I think you guys should get over it. He's not coming. They're going to say things like that. And what Peter is telling people is for our lives today, an expectant church is actively remembering the future. Remembering the future. And verse 5 through 7, I think, takes us through this interesting way of thinking that the, Peter, Peter's argument here is that when people scoff at you, when people make fun of you, and maybe you're scoffing at yourself, maybe you're the guy in the mirror at times, you know, speaking these things to yourself, maybe. And Peter's saying, all of this scoffing 
All of these are people that are standing on God's stage. They're standing on God's stage, which he spoke into being. And on God's stage, they are scoffing. And the one who speaks, Jesus, has spoken and created the stage. And at times in history, he, with a word, flooded everything, destroyed everything, and re-spoke into being a new stage that scoffers stand on and scoff at the one who created the stage that they stand on. And then Peter writes that that stage, this stage that we live in, will be consumed. It will melt. It will burn. And with God's word, he will speak a new stage, a new setting, a, a new heavens and earth, and for us to live in our minds, like, aware of that. That that is, like, affecting our daily thoughts. That we are consciously expecting and remembering what is coming. And how that is deeply affecting even the most harsh critics. Whatever voices those may be, wherever those voices come from, like, that is what he is forming, that God, as God is directing Peter to write this, he is forming an expectancy in us. When people are in our face trying to break our faith, we're able to actually say, have eyes that look through them, past them, and are able to see what is coming. But thankfully, like, he doesn't just stop there, which he could have, we get insight in why he hasn't come yet. Like, you know, okay, I, I don't need an answer. I don't need an answer for why he hasn't come yet. And he gives us an answer for why he hasn't come yet. And that, that we get insight into this uh, with verse 8. Because when we live expectantly, it's good to know why the delay. Verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. So just that in itself is an argument, right? So God is so detailed, aware of every millisecond of every person's life, that, you know, like, I mean, I first saw it in the movie Matrix, which dated me, I think in high school or whatever, where like when people are moving really fast on film, it's all in super slow motion, right? And there are a lot of other films now that do that, but it's like when you're super fast, everything's super slow, uh, kind of in real time to represent stuff, right? So in one sense, one day, according to God's knowledge and awareness, like you know, if he described one day to us, might be another way to think of it. If he described to us one day his depth and breadth, it would take a thousand years easy to, to describe to us one day in the life of God. Um, more than a thousand years, but let's say easily a thousand years, right? And at the same time, the one who exists outside of time, that our entire lives here for him could be like mid-morning. Because of he's able to see 
the whole setting in a way that we can't. He's able to see how our lives are truly a blip. And throughout Psalms and other places, he's communicated that to us. So that isn't, I, I don't feel like that's actually the real reason he's giving us. He's just giving us that as like an appetizer to the meal of verse 9, which is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He's writing that to the churches. So he could say, I believe this also means like he's patient to everybody who will be a part of his church. So even if you have not yet given your life to Jesus yet, but he sees the future, knows you will, um, that is not outside of his purview. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So what feels so long for us, waiting decades for his return, even waiting a thousand years, he experiences that so much differently than we do. The Lord is not slow. He isn't slow to fulfill his promises. Every day that he doesn't come is because of his love and his patience. He is patient towards us. He's patient towards those that we love. He is not wishing that any should perish. So if he doesn't come back today, it's because there are people who would give their lives to Jesus today who won't and all the ramifications of that if he came back this morning. So him not coming back right now is only his patient love towards us. But that all should reach repentance. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repenting of our sins. The kind of looking, the Greek and all that stuff of repenting is basically like, we all go this way, and as God shares his word with us and reveals to us that we are sinful, that we can't just work hard and try and make our way to heaven because we are always going this way until we give our life to Jesus, submit to him, realize that he has come to rescue us, to pay for our sin, the penalty of our sin. He has done all of that so that we can trust him and have his life and what he accomplished on our behalf. And if we resist that for a lifetime, and we go to God and we say, hey, look, I've been, I've been going this way. And he's like, man, I gave Jesus for you. Like, I gave my best, the best I had, the best, the most powerful one that could come came so that you wouldn't have the burden of trying to work yourself up because what you realize is the only way is to repent, which that word means to turn. And then they realize, oh, Oh, this is your life? I was trying to live. This is your life. Oh, wow. Okay. And then to realize, and if you say like, hey, God, trust me, I'm going to show off really nice. and You're going to like the direction I'm going. He's like, you will never get there because you have to 
allow him to carry you to where only he can go in our lives and through us. And that's why he said he is patient towards you. He's patient towards me. He doesn't want any of us should, to perish. And so if people are scoffing, saying, oh, your God's nowhere to be found. It's like he is everywhere to be found. He is working so much in all of our lives. He's working so much around us so that no one would perish, that all would repent. Because the day of the Lord is coming like a thief. And man, I tell you what, I am so prepared for a thief. Most guys, no offense to women, but most guys in their mind have their like ninja plan for when a thief knocks on your door and says, hello, I'm the thief. I'm going to break into your home in about, I'll give you some time to prepare, but in about 10 minutes, I'm coming with all my force. And you're like, okay, I'm going to get ready for you. Yeah, like it doesn't work that way, right? A thief is coming when you are unprepared. When you don't have time to get ready, a thief is coming. And that is the language that God is using in this context. I am patient, but I will not be patient forever. And when I come, it will catch you like a thief catches you by surprise. So don't be surprised. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed This takes us to the second point about rediscovering an expectant church is that an expectant church is wise in the waiting. Like, we're not just remembering the things that are coming, but we have this, uh, I, I would think of it more in like the heart and the soul area of our lives that we just have an expectancy about us about why he hasn't come yet that is really rooting us. We have a passion for what it means that he hasn't come yet, what it means for his sacred mission in rural central Iowa is, is that him being on the move for the purposes of why he's on the move. And, you know, just for my sake, if Jesus would have come back in 1996, I would not be standing here. I would not have known him. I would not have... Um, all of the riches of following his, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not that way, but through me. Um, that if he would have come back, in, now there, there are people who gave their lives to Jesus in 1950 and went through all sorts of challenging things where they were like, Jesus, would you just come back today and make it all right? Would you, if you came back today, I would love it. And I'm grateful he didn't, because in 1997, I gave my life to Jesus, and that changed everything for me. And instead of spending an eternity separated from him, I get to spend an eternity with him and for him and delighting in his land, his people, his presence. And today, I, I would love for him to come back right now. I could give you a long list of reasons why if he came back before the end of the sermon, that would make my day, truly. Um, and I believe it's only his kindness that, that hasn't happened yet, but would that form a wisdom in us of how we live, how we operate, what we feel about what is, what could be right now? He is very patient, and he has told us he's not going to give us a 90-day notice. 
we will have no notice, which is why we need to be responding today in all of the ways he has us respond today because um, why would we not? And we don't need a 90-day notice because he's given us his notice right now <laughs> of, of how we should be wise in the waiting. It's not a passive wisdom, but in a way where we patiently yet persistently seek for him to change us so that those around us can be changed. He, he will not force our love. He won't do that. He won't. If I called my wife and said, honey, I'm demanding you love me today, she'd be like, oh, what happened, you know? Like, this is not love. Love is free. It's not forced. He will not force our love, but he will surround us with his love. He won't force our love, but he will surround us with his love through all sorts of different ways as he is seeking none to perish, which it makes it, the flip of it is true, like God so loved the world, he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, which means those who refuse to believe in him will perish and will not have everlasting life. Those are, that's a logical, a, a logical way to look at, uh, at his words to us. Peter continues in verse 11, 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Every time I've looked at these three verses in preparation for the sermon, I saw something new. Like every time I came back to it, I was like, oh, wow, didn't, man, I didn't make a connection there. This is rich ground. Since all these things are to be dissolved. Not if. There's no wavering here. There's not like, hey, I've got four options, and uh, you know, this is option C. I might go with A and B, might go with D. No, he's like saying, this is what will happen. Since these things are going to be dissolved, since this is happening, how should you live? And I, I love it, and this is part of rediscovering being an expectant church. He's not saying, how should we live then, how should we live right now since these things are going to happen? What sort of people ought, ought we to be? Look at that. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And man, if you ask like, I think Dana Carvey, right, way back when in, in um, Saturday Night Live was the church lady, right, and was this like really prudy um, person, and um, which Jesus loves prudy people, so I'm not knocking uh, if you're predisposed to prudiness, but um, one of the things that um, I think holiness and godliness can kind of be these like Christian terms that seem like, like I don't want to be characterized by that, 
So, like, rediscovering even what these two words mean, holiness simply means set apart. So, we, knowing and expecting what is to come, we not should live like perfect lives, but our life should be considered as being no longer just like, well, I just kind of live the way everybody around me is living, but we're actually set apart, separate from just flowing with the times and the people and all that stuff. We're set apart now, and our old way has been exchanged for his new way. And we've had some crazy, I mean, Brandon and so many people in our church, it is refreshing to see like, man, I knew you before and I know you now. Even in conversations with TJ and someone this morning was like, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) I grew up with you and you never said stuff like that. You are a different person. Well, that's holiness. He's he's set apart. He He is set apart where he wants his life now to be characterized by Jesus' life, Jesus' direction, Jesus' wish and plan in all of the facets of our life. So as we pursue holiness, which is a very biblical way to say, as we pursue holiness, Jesus, I want to follow you in your way and my old way of thinking and acting and the way I, I treated people the way I treated my spouse, the way I treated friends, the way I treated uh, classmates, teammates, all of that stuff, I want to be set apart for Jesus' purpose because God wants none to perish. And, and I want to be changed, and I want others to be changed around me. Godliness, here's what godliness is not. Godliness is not becoming stuffy. It's not becoming boring. It's not becoming joyless. It's not this, like, pew-sitting judgmental, crass, mad-at-the-world person. That is, that is being a Pharisee. That is pharisaical. That is not godliness. What real godliness is, is as we are set apart for Jesus, we look more like Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so if someone says, man, you, you look, you're like more godly, you're not like, well, yes, I mean, I'm a, <laughs> you know, like, like you, you just say like, oh, you think I look more like Jesus? You know, I, I've heard people like, there was a, a pastor in Dallas that I knew, and someone actually sent this really long email and was like, I was on this work site with this guy who says he is a part of your church, and man, I heard him swear a few times, and I just... Man, someone following Jesus would never have a mouth like that. And so I just can't believe this person, you know, and wrote this long, long letter. And I'm not an advocate of swearing in any way, but this pastor knew this guy's whole life and wrote a letter back and said, you have no idea how much this guy used to swear. I don't even know if he knew words that were not swear words. So the fact that you have only heard him swear a few times... You have no idea how much more he looks like Jesus than he used to. This guy's life is radically changing. Now, is, will he continue to grow in godliness? That's what we're all walking together for and praying for. But your email was so encouraging to me. Thank you for caring for him, you know. And, you know, and he went up to the guy and was just like, man, you are growing like crazy. Um, he didn't see how far you've grown. He just kind of sees you where you're at right now. But, you know, let's keep doing this together. And this is, I think, a huge part about rediscovering church. To be an expectant church, we seek to live now 
like we'll live then. Like, well, we should yearn for that. We should desire for that, to live now like we'll live then. Like, that our lives would look more and more like our lives will look like in heaven. Free of sin, free of, of so many things that I cannot wait for that day to come. And uh, what's crazy about verse 12 is it says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So yes, God is, uh, he is completely sovereign, completely in control. But this verse tells us, as we have Jesus just totally take over, change us, as we are transformed and we see other people transform, it actually hastens, speeds up the coming of Jesus as he is patiently waiting. You know, like if all of us, Brandon and I were joking about this early this morning, was like, if all of us give our lives to Jesus and then just binge watch Netflix for the next 25 years or whatever, Jesus is like, man, this thing's going to take a long time for me to come back, you know, because, uh, you know, I need my people on the move as I'm on the move through them. But as we say, not my will, your will, would I decrease so you could increase, as John the Baptist so famously said, like as, as we are led into being holy, blameless, he tells us in other places, be holy because I'm holy. As we're like, that seems impossible to me, but if you say you can do that, if you say you're powerful to do that, do that. Do that in my life. And we say, man, you're more godly. You look more like Jesus than you used to. And we're like, okay, Jesus, come on. <laughs> Please come. You know, as we seek to live lives now, like we'll live then. And it says, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. And then it talks about the heavens on fire. I think those are the stars are dissolved. Heavenly bodies are melting as they burn. And I don't know if that means that, you know, how scientifically all this plays out, but if, you know, the moon gets clo too close to the sun, you know, like, however he does, he could do this miraculously, but it is such a cataclysmic event that the best way to describe it is the day. You're like, Tuesday, Wednesday, no, the day. The day in history where every demon Every angel and every human that has ever been, will ever be, the day that turns all of our lives upside down. Or we could say all of our lives right side up for the first time is the day. And then he says, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Gosh, I mean, I just... Sometimes I don't even want to turn on the news, you know, because I feel like the news to me is like, it's like a, a reader response thing where like I'll say a few things and then you say a few things. I'll say a few things, you say a few things. And I feel like the news is the news saying something and my response is, that's not right. The news saying something, my response is, that's not right. News saying something, my response is, that's not right. And on and on and on, right? Like, I just feel like that's, that's kind of the, the response that my heart has. And what I love here is saying, like, the new creation that Jesus will form, a new heaven and a new earth, will be a place where it is said continually, this is right. 
this is right. This is finally right. This is as it should be. It is right. Rightness is dwelling here. Righteousness is dwelling here. So what are the implications for us today? I mean, I think each of these points are implications for us. Each of these points, I, I, I pray that this chapter, this section, these 13 verses would form us to be an expectant people through all sorts of stuff. But three areas I was thinking of that to, for us to have open hands here is, first, this should change our minds. Being expectant in this way should change our minds as we remember the future. Because it's so easy to dwell in the past, right? I mean, like, it's easy in an argument to go historical and just start heaping up historical things. Like, it's, it's so easy for us to dwell in the past. I feel like it's also so easy for us to be overcome by the present. Like, to just be absolutely overcome by the present. And I'm not saying, like, we don't care about the past. I mean, my seminary degree was in church history and historical theology. Like, I love, I, I love the shoulders that we stand on and what God did throughout history and what he's doing now. I love that part of the past. But for us to be an expectant people, yes, we'll, we'll make sure, you know, like, if we don't know the past, we're destined to repeat it and all that stuff. That's helpful. But there's a difference between knowing the past and living in the past or dwelling in the past, right? And so, so to change our minds to be able to remember the future and then not to be overcome by the present because this isn't the end of the story. This isn't the last word. This isn't the final significance or the final, you know, if all of our hopes, all, if we have our, everything in our life is attached to the present, man, we're, our minds are going to be all over the place. So for, for our minds to be changed as we are confronted with these realities from his word. And then the second one is for our souls to be changed or our, our hearts to be changed as we have just wisdom in the war. All of the opposition, all the scoffers, every voice that tells us you guys are foolish people. That the Lord would give us roots that go deep. And... Uh, and as, as we realize, God, to you, to me, a battle that feels like, um, like I talked to a person on Friday who told me, like, man, for 10 years, my wife threw up every single day. For 10 years. And I was having this really great conversation with a person in our community, and he was like, every day my wife threw up for 10 years, and she got down to 86 pounds. And he said, we, we were convinced we were going to lose her, you know. And he was like, it felt like an eternity, you know. And, and I was like, yeah, I, man, I can't believe how you guys survived that. But to know that, like, it feels like an eternity. And God, you actually are in eternity. And I can have some roots go down right now. And I can be submitted to you and have you carry us. Because for you, this doesn't feel like an eternity. You know the details where it would take you a thousand years to describe what I've experienced. And at the same time, this isn't an eternity to you. So would you just form me right now, transform my mind, guide me right now, change my mind, change my soul, 
And then three, change our lives. Would this actually change our lives? Holiness and godliness, not, and I'm not trying to be crass or like anything, but I, I do think it's helpful to use the term sex, money, and power. That really, a lot of, that's not the most foundational fleshy sin, but like, man, there are so many things in the categories of sex, money, and power that we can attach ourselves to. You know, a lot of the hopes that we have, a lot of the, the desires we have, you know, all sorts of things that we're like, man, I'd like to be set apart in the area of money. You know, if, if people looked at me and said, like, that guy's in a category by himself, money would be a good category. That guy's in a category by himself, power. He's in charge, he's in control, you know, all that stuff. For us to be in set apart for Jesus, holiness, changing our lives today, living towards godliness. And once again, like the, the lie is like, so let's all go home and try really hard. I then feel like a loser when you can't make it and go to shame and don't come back next week because only the, the really trying hard people should, should keep charging forward. The best people are the people that surrender and say, this is impossible unless you make it possible. I can't do this unless you do this in me. I am willing. And when I'm not willing, would you hit me in the face, wake me up somehow so that I am willing. I want to be willing. I want to follow you. I want these things to be true of me. I want to lead my family. I want, want to tell my kids, follow me as I follow Jesus. I want to tell my community, follow me as I follow Jesus. And for people to be like, you're following Jesus? Why would I follow you? You're just a loser, no good, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I know. So follow me. You're going to see amazing things because you're going to see what he can do with a guy like me. And come and watch. Come and see. So for us, what communion is for us is a time where the boundary become, between heaven and earth gets a little blurry. Communion should be for us this time, not where like we kind of get pulled up to heaven, but I think where it's like kind of like the fog settles in here in the sense of like the lines between heaven and earth get a little blurred and where we commune with the one that we will commune with forever where we take his body to say, I don't want my way, I want your way. And uh, BJ and Larry, I believe, will be serving us today. If you guys want to come up, they'll have gloves on. If you just walk up with your hands like this, come down the center aisle, and they'll say, this is the body of Jesus given for you because his body was given for you because he wants none to perish. And then take wine or juice, obey your conscience. This is the blood of Jesus shed for us so that we who deserve to be separated from him can be washed white as snow and be in relationship with him. I would plead with every person here, if you know that you are not one who has given their life to Jesus, I do beg you, plead with you, would you do that today? Why would you not do that today? 
What would keep you from doing that today? And if you're like, well, I need to know this one thing, please don't leave without asking somebody that one thing. And if, if you find that that one thing is satisfactory, don't leave without, even if it's an hour from now, like say, I, I, I'm not leaving here until I'm leaving here with Jesus. I would beg you and plead with you to, to not check out right now, but to check in to, to this moment. Um, and for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, would we allow him to even change us right now? Maybe it's your mind that needs to be really changed this morning. Maybe it's your heart that just really needs to be taken to a beautiful place with Jesus this morning. Maybe he's showing you that your life really needs to change. He's inviting you into his way. Um, would you boldly, after meeting with him, would you boldly come to his table as a sign of surrender, as a sign of looking to him to do the impossible in our lives? He can make it possible. And would you, taking communion, be worship? giving your life in a fresh way to him this morning. So let's spend some time with him, and then let's come to the table. And all uh, keep the elements. So take the elements, go back to your seat, remain standing, and we'll take it together as family.